It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Ohio State is number five in the college football playoff rankings, and nothing matters. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Nathan, it's like keeping up the tradition. As soon as somebody tunes in, tell them just shut this off. Because I will say, so I just yelled about stuff for an hour on the college football playoff show, which I hope people listen to. We're going to talk about the Ohio State part of it here. Everybody in the Big Ten controls their own destiny here. And by everybody, we mean Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State because a one-loss Big Ten champ is going to get in. And that, I we've been saying that, right? Like, we sort of discussed that. And people would say, well, what about this? What about that? To look at Oklahoma at eight, Cincinnati at six, and three Big Ten teams in the top seven, Michigan State at three, Ohio State at five, Michigan at seven, should make it clear to everyone that if Michigan State beats Ohio State and wins the Big Ten Championship, they're in. If Ohio State beats Michigan State in Michigan and wins the Big Ten Championship, they're in. If Michigan beats Ohio, like, they're just in because people respect the Big Ten, and there's not that much to get wound up about Ohio State, I don't think, Nathan. No, and that's what I wrote tonight uh, for the site. We're recording this on, on Wednesday night, just that, and I wrote it uh, going into today that you know Ohio State's not going to be in the top four, and it doesn't matter. This is a a, a I wouldn't say a ruse. It's 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 a fun thing for arguments and and play and TV ratings. But really, uh, they're going to do this five more times, and then they're going to do the final one. And the final one's what matters. Ohio State's found that out both in uh, positive ways and negative ways over the past seven years. This is also a first. Because the last couple of times that Ohio State was in a one-loss position like this, it didn't control its own destiny. So this is new territory for Ohio State. Because the Big Ten's so good. Yeah. So, I mean, the difference, it did, tonight did matter for Cincinnati. Tonight did matter for Alabama. Tonight does matter for Sun teams. So you get a, you get a feel for what the committee's doing and how they're thinking. But the issue for the Big Ten is that they have so many teams at the top that someone's going to play their way in. Right now, if everything gets jacked up, then I mean, is a two loss Big Ten champion to get in? Probably not, but that's always true. So I just think that there's a lot of like for for the Big Ten, it was a sign of respect. And now go win. Somebody go win. I did predict Ohio State to be fifth. I had 
my rankings that I would have done were quite different than the committees, but we agreed to Ohio State fifth. Nathan, where did you say Ohio State would be? My first six teams were correct, except for the fact that I had Oklahoma in there. So if you take out Oklahoma and bump those other three teams up, it would have been the correct order. So I had Ohio State sixth instead of fifth because I had Oklahoma ahead of them. So you're one of those communists that had Bama second? I had Georgia one, Alabama two, Michigan State three, yeah. Why? That's what you you think should happen, or that's what you thought would happen? That's what I predicted would happen. Yeah, you can go listen to me an hour shout about Alabama. If you predicted so, it, that's not that's just you thinking what the per- committee is going to do. That's a different conversation. Do you think they should actually be too? Because that's a ridiculous statement for them to have them too. But that's not this pod. It's not. Go so. listen to the playoff show. So, do we think that they got Oregon Ohio State right? Is this the right thing to have Oregon ahead of Ohio State right now, Nathan? This week, yes. Yeah. This, this beginning it, of the show is going to be like five minutes long because like everything's <laughs> yeah. obvious and we agree on it. Yes, but it tells me that if they're both, I don't think Oregon will end ahead of Ohio State if they're both one loss conference champs. Like, and I mean, they basically told you that the way they talk yeah. about it. That it's yeah, like after, yeah. Now, the head to head with Ohio State's best yeah. win being Penn State, being Minnesota, because they have Minnesota ranked 20th. Mm-hmm. That's Ohio State's best win. They said for now, Oregon's two best wins, UCLA and Fresno State. Fresno State's also ranked. That's comparable to Ohio State's best wins, Minnesota and Penn State. So for now, the head-to-head wins out. But get back to the committee after Ohio State. I mean, we're not saying they're going to do this, but to get where they want to go, they have to do it. If they have wins over number three and number seven, then they're going to jump or they're going to jump Oregon. Doug, if you truth serumed the 13 members of the committee tonight. Do you th- how many of them do you think would say Ohio State is better than Oregon right now? 13. And so would I. Yeah. But I'm still ranking Oregon higher. And it becomes back to the thing that we've been talking all along about, which is just the resume. I think what is was interesting to me was Penn State not being ranked at all. And so that does kind of – but Minnesota being ranked, kind of canceling that out. Um, but so this is what I've been trying to tell people. Like when you go by just who they've beaten – it's still very similar. I know I thought Kirk Herbstreit made a good point that of all the people that we're talking about, that Oregon had both the best win and potentially the worst loss of all the teams up there. So then how do you balance that out? I, I it's it's not easy. You you can start to contradict yourself pretty quickly. So I thought it may I, I expected them to put Oregon ahead of Ohio State, but I thought it would be like it was. And and all the way down the rankings tonight, whether it was what it was like Mississippi State and uh, Kentucky or whether it was uh, other teams that had already beaten each other. They, every single time they put the team that had won one spot ahead of the other one. Yeah. That was pretty weird to have two, three lost teams ranked as high as they had them. And it made me wonder, odd. yeah, but, and it made me wonder where they might actually have Penn state right now. Cause if you're going to put Wisconsin up there and how, and Penn state is beaten with Penn state one at Wisconsin. Right, but they think that Wisconsin's losses are good, right? Because Wisconsin lost to Michigan and Notre Dame and who else? And Iowa. Or no, yeah. and, um, um, not Iowa. Because um, they just beat Iowa. It's clearly not that good of a win. I can't nobody remember it here. Uh, the, the point is Penn <laughs> no, State's lost. got the loss. Their third loss. Their third loss. Yeah, it's the point that you know, Illinois, uh, Illinois beat Penn State. That's why Penn State's not ranked. That is correct. Um, I do think, and I, and I made this point on the playoff show, 
Now we're just looking up Wisconsin's record because that's good yep. podcasting. <laughs> uh, who else did they lose to? Somebody else in the Big Ten? Notre Dame, Michigan, early, right? and Penn State. Notre Dame, Michigan, oh, and Penn, Penn State. State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. First said. game, yeah, like I said, yeah. yeah. We just couldn't add correctly. Boy, it's been so, a long day. Short, short-term memory problems. The It's 10-15 at night when we're recording this, by the way. So I do think, and I would argue this in the room, the excuse the out that they gave Clemson a couple years ago, right when Kelly Bryant was hurt and they lost to Syracuse, I would give Oregon that out for the Stanford game because I think not having Joe Moorhead for that game that there's a medical emergency and your offensive coordinator who was, if you ranked, give me the five people who were most responsible for Oregon's win at Ohio state. Oh, Joel Martin's number one, number one, your number one, most important person for the win that defines your season is surprisingly not there. How is that different than not having your quarterback? So I would excuse and like, I didn't hear anybody bring that up. I actually, Gary Barta brought it up in passing, but he didn't mm-hmm. linger on it. I would linger on that. It's not. And, and the Stanford loss was in overtime. It wasn't, they didn't get blown out. And yes, Stanford is bad, but there's like a clear thing that happened. Now, again, a loss is a loss, but they've done it in the past. So I would do that. I know they've had some other close wins, but I actually think Oregon's underrated. I think people, are, are sort of raining on their parade too much when actually Fresno State and Illinois are decent wins and they've had a lot of weird stuff happen, right? I mean, you can't talk about ranking Minnesota 20th and be like, well, one of the reasons we rank Minnesota 20th is because they've lost two tailbacks. It's like, cool, they're not coming back. How is it a plus to have good injured players? So Oregon lost C.J. Burdell. They beat Ohio State without Kayvon Thibodeau. They've lost Justin Flo. Joe Moorhead was gone for a while. Like we want to list all the things that have gone wrong with Oregon and they've only lost one game and they actually are kind of getting it together a little bit. I think people have been too in on the disrespect of Oregon. So I do think you had to attach Oregon and Ohio state. And then the issue becomes is Ohio state pushing Oregon up or is Oregon dragging Ohio state down? And I think Ohio state pushed Oregon up and that Cincinnati was kind of the victim. Because if you kind of looked at Oregon and Ohio State as a pair and you viewed it a different way, you could have made Cincinnati fourth and then had both Oregon and Ohio State behind it. But I bet they thought they didn't want to have – I bet you they thought to themselves, Ohio State's better than Cincinnati. I don't know if they think Oregon's better than Cincinnati. They think Ohio State's better than Cincinnati, but they've got to have Oregon and have Ohio State, so Cincinnati winds up safe. I thought they might put Cincinnati at four just for the sake of it, even if we all knew in the back of their heads, our heads, that they were going to rip the rug under Cincinnati when it came to those final rankings and put Ohio State or Oregon in. But for just for the See, sake of they're undefeated, they've got the good win, they're going to be four in these initial rankings. Sorry to mean to interrupt you, but I, th- I think that's why they didn't put them up there if they think they're going to have to rip. Like as much criticism as they're going to take tonight from the people who are, are championing the, the group of five and whatever – it's even worse if you put them in the top four and they keep winning and maybe they even start looking even better. And then you still jump someone over them later. Yeah. But it's not worse because Ohio state's beating top 10 teams and Cincinnati's yeah. not, you know, I do. I, I think that's and Oklahoma is going to beat a bunch of top 15, 15 teams if they do it. So I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't buy that. I think that we've seen that precedent. Hey, like this is as high as Cincinnati was going to get. People knew they might slide down, but the whole issue is this is highest is, is as high as Cincinnati's going to get, and they're only sixth. So I don't like it. I ranted about it on the playoff show. 
the issue really comes down to is would they put two loss Alabama in ahead of undefeated Cincinnati, which is what they might be setting up. And that would be very disappointing, I think, for college football because Cincinnati always needed help. You know, we knew that. We knew that. I mean, Cincinnati was not getting in ahead of the one loss Big Ten champ. Cincinnati is not getting in ahead of Oregon if Oregon runs the table. Cincinnati is not getting hit in ahead of undefeated Oklahoma. So if Oregon, Oklahoma, and either Ohio, the, the Ohio State, Michigan State winner don't lose somewhere else, Cincinnati was always going to be behind them eventually. We all knew that. Everybody agreed to that. And then Georgia. So that's the four. So Cincinnati's out. We knew Cincinnati wasn't going to control its own destiny, but it's just they threw this potential Bama impediment in there, which was surprising and upsetting, I think. I think unjustified because it's not just that Bama's two and it's not just that Cincinnati's six. It's that Bama's two and Cincinnati's six. And it feels like it feels like they're creating a pathway to something that I think would be bad for the sport. So that's the thing that I didn't like the most. Um what else is there from an Ohio State perspective, Nathan, that matters about this? I mean, the bottom line is Ohio State's in good shape, and if they win, they're in. Yeah. I, I, I Just from an Ohio State perspective, like, obviously it's not – the optimal situation is not to have lost already, but you lost already. So considering you've lost already, this is about as good as it's, it could be. I mean, the other times that they have already lost a game at this point of the playoff, that they've never been as high as five. I mean, like I, like I pointed out, I mean, they were 16 – in 2014 at the first reveal. So imagine if they were 16 tonight, like we wouldn't be thinking about whoever, who is 16 tonight, like Mississippi state. Nobody's talking about Mississippi state making the playoff. And so, I mean, just give, give for fans, like take that perspective. Like you're fifth, you're right there. You're, you're, you're right there. Is the big 10 champ number two though, in the final rankings, I think if based off this, if Georgia, I think, I think possibly yes, either way. Because if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship and there's a one-loss Big Ten champ or undefeated Big Ten champ if it's Michigan State, then Georgia's clearly one. And I think that Big Ten champ is two ahead of even undefeated Oklahoma. I think. I think. And if Bama beats Georgia, then I think Bama leaps to number one. And now one-loss Georgia isn't a champ. And I think a one-loss Big Ten champ would be number two. So I think it's possible that Ohio State, if it wins out, is on track to be number two because you can make undefeated Oklahoma number three or number four, just like they made undefeated Florida State number three in 2014. The issue is, does undefeated Oklahoma get in? As long as they're in, right? I mean, what's Oklahoma Mm going to complain about? Oh, we should be second. Instead, we're fourth. I mean, shut up, right? So I actually think that's a good point. My bet would be, almost regardless – Ohio State's number two if they went out. And frankly, I don't think they'd do it. I don't think they'd do it. Because again, Alabama's already number two. I wonder Georgia if Alabama, f- I wonder if oh. Alabama will stay at number two no matter what. Say Ohio State beats Michigan State, Michigan yeah. has these wins. Will Ohio State jump Bama? If Bama beats Georgia, say that Ohio State's number two, Georgia's one, and Bama's three. And if Bama beats Georgia, could Ohio State be the, the one seed? Or would Bama definitely take the one seed because they just beat undefeated number one? No, Bama would be one because that's a better win than anything Ohio State can conjure up if you're beating Georgia, who's undefeated and been the number one seed the entire year in the SEC championship game. And then, I mean, Georgia's probably three for the sake of we're not having Bama and Georgia play each other again in four weeks, just 
that just doesn't make any sense. That's why I asked the question, like, would they make Georgia, if Georgia loses to Bama, would they just make them two? And they, so they get to pick where they go. There are kind of a lot of things you have to speculate on in that scenario because it's Alabama would be beating Georgia, which would be the, a, a better win than Ohio state by far had been able to get this season. And then where is Oregon still at that point? Cause if Oregon has slid down towards more of a Texas A&M um, kind of spot, you know what I'm saying? Then is Alabama's loss still considered as good or better than Ohio state's loss? If everybody wins, right? Everybody who's supposed to win wins. My guess would be undefeated Georgia is number one. One loss Ohio State is number two. Undefeated Oklahoma is number three. And then number four is either one loss Pac-12 champ Oregon, undefeated Cincinnati, or two loss Alabama. And it would be like a fight for that. And that that would Cincinnati be trying to make a case there that like if Oregon is kind of st- like looks like crap and barely hangs on and Cincinnati's looking good. I think that's the fight. And they're all fighting to try to get to play Georgia again. Now, to, to I, well, they would have to do it. If Georgia was number one and Alabama was two losses, that would actually, I think, contribute to Alabama not getting in. I think it might be a window for a rematch. Yeah. I also think if that's Mich- in the name of Ohio State did it in 2016, if that's Michigan State's only loss is a road loss to Ohio State, who would be five or is it five or six? Six, five by the time they play. It's three, it'll be three versus five. Michigan State loses on the road yeah, in a works. close game to Ohio State. No. And that's their only loss of the season. They just don't get in. Like like a, a two-loss Alabama has a better chance than a one-loss Michigan State at that point. Yes, because Ohio State got it in 2016 because they had road wins at Oklahoma. They had road win at Wisconsin. They had a, like multiple things to back mm-hmm. up. If Michigan State loses to Ohio State, all they've got is the Michigan win. And then it's like, is that so you're putting you in on the Michigan win? Because the Michigan win's so good. And Cincinnati still has this Notre Dame win. So I, I don't think I never thought there was a path for a second Big Ten team. The, the thing that's really killing what Steven, Steven, what you're trying to um, conjure there is Illinois beating Penn State. I mean, it makes the Penn State loss less valuable. Yeah. State beats Penn State later this year. Yeah. 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 If it, right. When everybody was in the top 10, if Penn State, you know, was still if, if Sean legit. Clipper's ribs didn't yeah. explode against Iowa, then yeah. Well, how about if they just get in from the three yard line twice in yeah. overtime, except once there. instead of once, except Illinois. Like, that's, I, the Sean Clifford thing is fair to a point, but. But I also think, I mean, so that I would say Buckeye talk listeners. If Ohio state wins out. I do think you are potentially on track for an Oklahoma semi and a Georgia national championship. And that would be pretty fun. So. Caleb Williams, and then that Georgia defense. I love the way they talked about Oklahoma today, by the way. They were Especially like, Especially oh. when they got to the quarterback part of it. It was like, that one got a little weird for a while. It looks better now. But basically they said, that Spencer Rattler sucks. Caleb well, Williams they, has fixed some things there. And then they said, not only is Caleb Williams making the offense better, he's like lifting the spirits of the defense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nathan, go, go, go ahead, Nathan. I was say for that that scenario you were talking about, trying to decide. So if Ohio State's two, Alabama takes a second loss, and maybe it drops out. Would they? Would they be more likely to put Oklahoma at three, or would they maybe put Oregon at three and let that be a rematch? Since there's going to be some controversy between 
who should be higher Ohio State or Oregon at that point and just let mm-hmm. them go decided on the field with another game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate I hate rematches. I, yeah, but no. I think I do think that's where because Oklahoma at that point, if Oklahoma's undefeated, they're gonna have wins over Baylor, who's in the top 15, yep. Oklahoma State, who's in the top 15, mm-hmm. and then like one of those teams like twice. Yeah. So they're gonna have they don't have any right now, but they're going to have like three top 20 wins at a time when Oregon's still only going to have the Ohio State win. So yeah. unless Oregon is blowing people off the field, I think they want to avoid rematch. Like if you get at the national title game, so be it. You know, if Oregon, uh, you know, upsets Georgia and then you have Ohio State, Oregon, okay. But I think you'd, since you have wiggle room, I think you'd want to avoid it. So I think, I mean, Ohio State's in good shape. It is funny to think, what is the difference, Nathan? What we compared, so so a couple of weeks ago, I said, I wrote, Ohio State has wiped out the Oregon loss. The Oregon loss doesn't matter. It's not holding them back from anything they want to do. If they went out there, they're in. And I did get a lot, of, a decent number of people saying like, well, what if, you know, Cincinnati and Oregon and Oklahoma and Georgia, would they, and I was like, no, the one last Big Ten champs in, the one last Big Ten champs in. So anybody who asked that question, if you doubted me then, the one last Big Ten champs in, that seal, that was sealed tonight. But what's the difference, Nathan? What's the difference that the Virginia Tech loss had Ohio State 16th and the Oregon loss has Ohio State 5th in the first playoff rankings? Are there, were there that many more undefeated teams back then? Better teams that, that were ahead of Ohio State? Because, you know, okay, well, if Ohio State wasn't 5th, they'd be like 7th. They had no chance to be in the teens. We all knew that. Why was that team so low back then in comparison? Well, I didn't research it, but uh, that Virginia Tech team that beat Ohio State never appeared in any of the playoff rankings, for one thing, mm-hmm. of that whole season. Like, they weren't that good. They weren't good. It was bad. It was a bad loss. It was, not a, it was not a team that was in the playoff conversation, whereas now they've lost to a team that is credibly ahead of them in the playoff conversation, partially by benefit of having beaten them on at home. But still, like, Oregon would be – I mean, if Oregon had played – somebody else that week and won, but still lost to Stanford, they'd probably be in the top. They'd be in that like top 10 conversation right now. Right. And Virginia tech was nowhere close to that. Okay. It's just funny to think about because you, you are beholden to the context of your season and seasons can Mm -hmm. be very different, but we're also in a world where, you know, Clemson fell off the earth and there's no, there's no legitimate ACC team and the best team in the big 12 is undefeated and is a playoff regular, but is behind Ohio state. Cause they've looked like crap and had to change quarterbacks. There are some weird things. We knew it. It's a chaotic year. And so Ohio state was part of the chaos, but also was clearly benefiting from the chaos because they've sort of come out of the chaos and they're higher than they would be in other years. I just want to say I, one thing I did research because it was for madness a couple of weeks ago. So that first, rankings reveal in 2014 was on October 28th just like this year that Ohio State schedule was backloaded November 8th they played at mm-hmm. number eight Michigan State and won November 15th they played at Minnesota and won that was only by a touchdown December 6th then the Big Ten Championship game they blow the holy heck out of Wisconsin so they had huge wins still ahead of them I, mean, I wouldn't know if you call Minnesota huge but valuable wins still ahead of them that drove them up and, th- and that they hadn't played yet I think is the more important part of that and also yeah for the sake of, I mean, since Barta brought up the offense and how awesome it's looked, Ohio State wasn't, in comparison to the teams they were doing it against this year, I mean, Kent State 66 to nothing is not the most impressive thing in the world. It took a little longer in 2014 for that to come together. While with this year, it's CJ Stroud rested a week and then boom, 
They're scoring 50 points every week. And then they had an impressive win over Penn State. That's the other thing in 2014. Nobody outside of Ohio and Texas knew who Ezekiel Elliott was yet. Right. Yeah. Until like the last third of the season. Right. Right. So, no, that's true. It's all it's all very interesting. But again, it's just in a world where we all immediately made a lot of comparisons in week two when they lost to Oregon to what happened in 2014. They're in such better shape. They're in such better shape because of A, the chaos in the rest of the country and B, the strength of the Big Ten. And so we've often had conversations about you want your conference to help you here. And their conference is absolutely helping them unless their conference is so good that Michigan State or Michigan beats them. And then nobody will want the Big Ten to be as good as it is. But this is they're in a good position. If they like if Michigan State, Michigan were terrible, if Michigan State, Michigan were both four and four. Right. And everything else was the same. You wouldn't feel as good about as Ohio State. They're fifth now. But you'd be like, well, Oklahoma's going to pass them, right? I mean, what if Cincinnati passes them? What if you, you know what I mean? Like, like yep. if they weren't going to get respect, mm-hmm. but they have two top ten wins waiting out there for them if they can do it. It was a little bit of what happened last year, where you know they were fourth in the rankings last year, but they they weren't playing enough games by some people's estimation. But just in general, they weren't playing enough games, and then the Big Ten was down last year. Those beating those kinds of teams didn't gain them anything last year. So they had to they had to prove it with the eye test a little bit. Yeah, you think about the kind of seasons that Michigan and Michigan State had a year ago compared to the seasons that Michigan and Michigan State are having now. That is that is a huge boost for the uh for the Ohio State Buckeyes. All right. I, I think we're good on the playoff talk. You know, this is something that we'll we'll continue to monitor, but for Ohio State, not for everybody, for Ohio State it's it goes back to the field. Take care of business on the field and you'll be good to go. All right. We did a lot of the regular stuff on Tuesday. Also talking to Ryan day, talking to Brian Hartline. So we'll get off the playoff discussion and get back to sort of talking about what's up with Ohio state football next on Buckeye talk. All right. Back on Buckeye talk. This is the part we're recording actually before the release of the rankings but it's here in the second part of the show because we know you wanted to talk about the rankings. So we're doing this Tuesday afternoon based on what we usually do the Wednesday pod on, which is what Ryan Day and people we talked to on Tuesday had to say. Today it was Ryan Day and Brian Hartline. No players. Hartline was really good, like 32 minutes of football talk, of like specific Ohio State talk. I thought like really interesting. We were just debating whether we could just like get you the sound to listen to the whole thing sometime. Um and then Nathan suggested we edit it into the show. And it was like, well, who's going to do that? Editor! They're not, we don't have an editor. So we're not going to do that. But I think we learned some stuff from Brian Hartline today. But Nathan, I mean, let's dispense with ah, Nebraska. I don't know. I mean, Ryan Day was puffing up Nebraska. It's stuff we talked about on Monday Madness. They've played some close games against good teams. It doesn't mean they're good. So I don't know that we didn't particularly learn much on Tuesday. And I don't want to talk about Nebraska very much. I think Ryan Day was saying, I think what we'll say about Nebraska, which is they're probably better than three and six, but that doesn't mean they're good. But he's not going to say that. That'd be awesome if he did say that. Uh, (laughs) So, Stephen, one of the things, let's go to Brian Hartline. One of the things that Brian Hartline did is basically murder the six-man receiver rotation today, at least in a world where you clearly have old guys who are great. And it is something that we have asked about we have talked about we've speculated about what's the plan it's always something in the preseason and steven he just dispensed with it today 
that and almost made it sound like the idea of having two all-American caliber receivers. And frankly, the way Jackson Smith and Jig was playing, he's almost at that level too. That the idea of taking them off the field during any important snaps was ludicrous in his mind. And it was like, okay, well, that's that sounds okay to us. We just didn't know you guys were there. It was kind of nice for Brian Hartline to make it clear that that's where he is. The logic is very simple. If you're going to take somebody off the field, the guy you're replacing him with better be the exact same level and caliber of player, or you're doing a disservice to the room. You're doing a disservice to the offense in general. And that's what we have here. You've got two all Americans and a guy who is, making his way there at some point in his career. He's, I mean, he'll probably be a preseason All-American next year, the way he's playing. And you want him to take that off the field for, I understand they're five-star and top 100 guys, but haven't done anything at this level yet and expecting the same level of, of, of play. And that's just not going to happen. And that's the world they live in when, you know, you do want to throw the ball, the Ohio State wants to throw the ball. You have to, the, the, the level of play can't drop. And that's what would happen if you took those three guys off the field. I do think, Nathan, if Brian Hartline said today, I mean, we see what they've been doing. They don't, they don't play anybody but the starters until they get to garbage time. But the idea, if, if someone said, you know what, we think it's really important to keep these five-star freshmen connected. We think we, we want them to stay locked in. And we think one of the best ways to do that is to put them on the field when it matters right away. It's not going to be a rotation per se, but we are dedicated to getting Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and anybody else who's healthy on the field, even though they're the second team. That's our plan. We know the other guys are better, but it makes our program better. It makes those guys better down the road. And it's frankly, it's not that much of a drop off. Of course, it's some drop off based on experience. But that's what we want to do. In a room this talented, that's what we think the right thing is. Not an equal split, but an actual role for the second-team receivers. That, to me, would not be insane in a room this talented, that you can manage it different ways. But again, to reiterate, that is not at all what Brian Hartline said. But wouldn't that be one way of doing it? I do want to say they have mix those guys in a little bit. It's not as if it's all been garbage time. We've seen, mm-hmm. yeah, we have, we've seen them. We've seen They've them played there, when somebody got, they played when somebody got nicked off, nicked up and needed to come off the field for one play. That's and then I'm they good. come right back off. It's not, that's not a, that's not on purpose. That's because Chris Olave twisted his ankle. So Julian needs to come in for a play. That's not actual real snaps that matter. He's out there because of circumstance, not because they want him to be out there. Right, but my point is that, that that those opportunities do arise. It's not like you always have to plan to, to get somebody on the field. Over the course of a season, those opportunities will arise. B, I also, and I, this is going to sound like uh, coach speak, but I think there is something to it. Like All those guys that we're talking about, whether it's Emeka Booker or Julian Fleming or Marvin Harrison, have been playing big roles on special teams, so they are getting involved in important parts of the game, even if they're not on the field as receivers. The one thing I, I, I see what you're saying. It's not an insane thing. It's not an insane thing. You're right. I, I do, though, something that Brian Hartline said today did resonate with me, which is because they're, if you're in a normal Ohio State season, there will be ample opportunity for those garbage time reps. How much do you want to gamble with real reps early in a game where you find yourself thinking later, 
oh, what could have happened if Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or or Jackson Jigba had been the one on the field instead of player X. You're right that there's not a huge drop-off, but I also think you don't want to – he talked about how you owe it to the everybody else on the field to have the best people out there at every position as much as possible. And I think that has that factors into his thinking, maybe in a way that didn't factor into the thinking of a previous administration. I don't think there's a huge drop-off, but – taken back to what Brian Hartland said before the season when he talked about how Garrett and Chris are kind of operating on a 1% because they're just that much better than everybody else at this point. There's not a big drop-off, but we saw in the Big Ten Championship game when Julian Fleming was in there for Chris Olave. And he was a five-star, number one wide receiver in the country, true freshman. And so that's what we might be dealing with again. If you throw that, the drop-off's not complete, but it's enough there that it greatly impacts what you want to do offensively just because they're young and inexperienced. So snaps this year, according to PFF, Chris Olave, 416, Garrett Wilson, 413, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, 345, Marvin Harrison, 106, Emeka Egbuka, 101. So um, that's, you know, that's the, that's the deal. There's no, rot- there's no rotation. So not a not a not a shock, but you know I'm here for it. Play your best guys. I'm here for it, which is why you know whenever people talk about like rotating for the sake of rotating, it's like I'm I don't, I don't, we none of us particularly love it, but it's something that Ohio State has talked about. I I asked Brian Hartland a question about route running today that I was going to ask it with a specific angle, and then I decided to ask it more open ended, and I'm glad I did because I did not get the answer that I expected. I asked, how's the route running? And I was going to ask, like, hey, you guys are always really good at route running, blah, 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 blah. And I just left it out there. And Nathan, he said he gave them a C for the Penn State game for route running. And as much part of this is the thing that now is the thing that we've latched on to. Everybody knows it. The good players you criticize, the players who need to be lifted up, you praise. Even so, again, it's like, oh, are all American receivers who are going to be first rounders? C, right? So uh, we get it. But I thought the way he talked about it, Nathan, there was also something to it that he was talking about, like, you can't get bored. You can't, like, play down to the level of competition. You've got to do it snap after snap. And I actually thought Brian Hartline also does legitimately think they're not as precise right now as they need to be. And some of that is he said he's giving them a C, uh, because he sees them as being an A plus, like that—that's on the table for them. And I feel like there's a little bit of a grading on the curve working against them, sort of. That uh, he, his expectations are pretty high. I, I do think I heard the same things you did, obviously. And I wondered if there was a little bit of a subtle message there that, like, hey, I know it's 35 to seven against Rutgers or whatever, but you've still got to run this route real crisp. You know, Brian Hartline, it seems like he would be. There's a reflection of the receiver room that comes directly from him. I suppose that happens with a lot of position coaches, but he seems to be a guy who is loose and would be fun to be around, but also like has these exacting standards and is very professional about things and sort of holds them to that. So I thought that was an an enlightening answer too. It made me, it it gives some insight into why they can go out and score 33 points against one of the best defenses in the country and still have only one of their receivers be graded a champion like there's probably it's those subtle things in there right that there's that's what's keeping you that's the difference between a 78 percent and 81 percent or whatever that gets you that champion threshold 
Brian Hartline's a really hard grader, though. I think seeing him at day camps, working with some highly rated guys, and you will think a kid's going a really good route. He's like, that was a terrible route. He'll just he'll tell you straight up, that sucked. So that's part of that. But then also, I don't know what part of it, because it was a long soliloquy to a lot of different questions, but he's grading guys on their scale. It's not a room scale of this is what you should be as an Ohio State receiver. It's this is what Chris Olave's standard is. This is what Garrett Wilson's standard is. This is what Jackson's standard is. And if you're not meeting that standard, then I can't grade you as a champion and you get a C this week because you're a C by your standards. And I kind rewatching the game, I kind of agree with them. The receivers weren't great. Now they were getting held a lot and there was a lot of you know PIs that didn't get called, but they weren't okay. great. They were not great against Penn State. Nobody calls penalties against the team that Ohio State plays. No, that's not that. I'm not going to that level. I'm just saying they were not great. There's a back shoulder. I thought the back shoulder pass interference that they called on Penn State was actually pretty touchy. Though when Porter was on Garrett Wilson, they did call that. It was kind of a big moment. Uh, But I still think, again, there's a world where it could be like, oh, they're on it. Some guys maybe would you know, not be as precise in a long season against competition that we're dominating, but these guys never let their guard down. They're on it every snap. That's out there as an answer, and that wasn't his answer. So, again, there have been times, but he did say there have been games where they've done that. And those are the games I imagine where they're like open by eight yards. And it's like, man, what happened there? It's like, well, they're super talented dudes who ran an awesome route. And they were not open by eight yards against Penn State. You know, when a lot of get open across that zone on the deep ball, that was some of it is protection and CJ stepping up in the pocket. And when you run that route against that defense, you have a chance to get open. But there were other times, again, a lot of the credit I do think is to the Penn State defense, which we've covered. But maybe they weren't as precise. You know, they, they weren't. They, they had, you know, Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields were kind of around. So uh, I, that's not the answer that I was expecting, even in a world where we know they're going to be tough on the good players. And didn't we even say going into the game that like, because you were talking about the precision of the, the Ohio State Rhymers and we were like, well, but don't, let's not forget that like sometimes that's great defensive players will disrupt that. They'll make you not run as precise of a route. You know what I mean? They'll they'll interrupt you. And I think there was some of that going on. The offensive line, Ryan Day got a lot of red zone questions on Tuesday and they didn't convert in the red zone. Steven, does it does it feel like anything? Did it seem like anything with Ryan Day that is potentially an issue that will stick with them? Or was it kind of a wonky night against a pretty good defense and actually they'll be fine with it? Uh, somewhere in the middle. Penn State had a really good game plan for Ohio State and um, they really executed it. The Ohio State's offensive line kind of got manhandled. That's on the, the players. They have to just be tougher in their blocks and, and in their assignments. But also, I mean, the play calling was pretty vanilla. It was pretty, you know, when you're blocking assignments and Travion find the hole and go make something happen. And they didn't really, you know, stray from that too far. So it's a little bit of everything. It's, you know, they got to call, they got to be a little bit, scheme up some better stuff. Some of the stuff we saw earlier in the season where they were moving guys in motion that time, but then also guys just have to be better at winning their blocks which is why, I mean, Penn State was a great team to test everything that we've been seeing the last three weeks because they actually have guys talented enough. If you're not winning your blocks, you get the red zone opportunities that Ohio State had on Saturday. Did you think that he was kind of challenging the run game, Nathan, that he did say, well, we've been throwing it pretty well in the red zone, but in the red zone, you've got to run it. You've got to run it, and we need to run it better. And 
he wasn't doing this, but again, it's just the way it hits your ear sometimes. Just like sometimes we've talked about that Ryan Day as a head coach, it can feel like, well, he's the offensive guy and the defense isn't quite on the same level just because he's an offensive guy. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm not saying he's doing something wrong. I felt like I caught a little bit of like, well, the pass game's fine. What you guys got to run it better. Like not really, but that was just my read. I'm probably, you know, whatever. But it did feel like he was, he, of course, it's some scheme. Of course, it's whatever. But it was sort of like, it's on you guys. We got to be better at it. And we weren't good enough running the ball down at that end on Saturday. Well, he did say, I think he was asked directly, like, was it play calling or was it execution? He said both. So some of that is him taking some responsibility for probably making some wishing he had some of those calls back. He would make some, some different choices if he had the, those same scenarios. But I, I think it's also just, look, the, things had come so easy to them for so long that it was, it looks like a smack in the face when you just have to work harder for it. Um, I, I think that there were a lot of things that happened in that game, whether it's stuff we talked about, you know, the way Penn state was, was moving around up front and in Ohio state, you know, having to kind of react to that in real time, a lot of lessons were probably learned out of this game. So I think he's right. I think they, you know, they're going to have to run the ball better in, in the red zone, but I think they're, uh, it's going to be easier to run the ball in the red zone. A lot of these games that they have coming up, he, you asked a specific question about the play. We talked about it on madness, right? Where they completely left the guy unblocked on the edge. And I, I what was his full re- response to that? So I asked about the before the fourth and one trivia on Henderson false start. They ran the ball on second and third down. They had run the ball on first down and got from like the six to the one and a half. And then they took two shots like at the one or the one and a half on second and third down. And both times the tackle was made off the edge by number 23, Curtis Jacobs, a Penn State linebacker. And both times he was basically kind of unblocked one time. Dewan Jones at right tackle and Cade Stover at defense at tight end blocked down and sort of left him like Cade Stover, like touched him, but didn't really block him. And Jacobs made the tackle. And the other time Dewan Jones blocked down and Jackson Smith and Jigbo was on that edge and was left with two guys and took the outside guy, which like you never do. You always take the inside guy, took the outside guy and Jacobs tackled Henderson's legs before he could do it. Ryan Day, I said, is there in that scheme, are you leaving here, that guy unblocked? And he said, no, that that's an execution issue. That guy's supposed to be blocked. But Penn State was shifting often right before the snap, yep. and it was changing some blocking responsibilities. And I think in those situations, they shifted before the snap both times. And I think it screwed up Ohio State. And you could see both times they wound up with two guys blocking the same guy. And one guy was left unblocked. So that clearly is an execution issue. Because sometimes in the zone read, you leave the end unblocked, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this wasn't zone read. And there's times when it's like, well, that guy's, we just think we're going to beat him by reading him. We're not going to block him. But this guy was supposed to be blocked and he was. Those bouncing fronts, I think those are tough for guys like, Josh Myers in his third year or second year starting or whatever, I imagine it's much more difficult for Luke Whipler. And I, and Ryan day kind of said that too today that he thought that um, he called it like discipline and focus being a, a problem with all those like snap infractions in the first half, but said that he thought that, you know, that's the first time that, that he's seeing that first time Paris Johnson seeing that. And, and, and to that extent, I think. 
and good stuff to learn from. So, but it was not great in the moment. I like, I don't, again, I said it at the time, they weren't losing one-on-one blocking battles time after time, after time, after time, after time. I mean, there were moments for sure, but a lot of it was that kind of thing where it was a miscommunication, a a lack of adjustment or the wrong of adjustment with the blocking scheme. And you end up with two guys blocking one guy and then somebody comes in free. Um, As as much as, as much as he talked about having real concerns about the way that that game played out. He also says, Hey, you're not supposed to go out and score touchdowns on 19 consecutive drives. Like it's, it's supposed to be harder. And and it was that game. Yeah. Um, And I do think on the second down carry, Jacobs really just got to Henderson's legs and couldn't do anything. The third down carry, I I was, I think if he would have kept going to his left and just put his shoulder pads down and leaned into the pile, they, I think they think maybe he would have been able to push through that. And then on fourth down, he didn't. He, that's when Trayvon Henderson has the false start. I think I think he might have been a little frustrated by he sort of tried to stop and cut back a little bit and allowed Jacobs to make the tackle on third down when there wasn't exactly a hole there, but there were a bunch of big Ohio State guys trying to lean on people. And maybe you could have just flung your body over the top of the pile, flung your body over the top of the pile. Buckeye talk. Uh Brian Hartline really talked for a long time. Let's talk. Let's talk about this. Since we're not going to run 30 minutes of Brian Hartline, we don't think. Stephen, what did you make of um, Brian Hartline's answer to how long are you going to be at Ohio State? Credit Clay Hall from WSYX in Columbus for doing that. Those are often awkward questions to ask. And Hartline kind of gave clay a little guff for asking it but guess what interesting answer and clay like kept following up and kept following up and pulled that out of brian hartline now he had to play he had to pull all that hard because brian hartline in sort of being like oh man i don't know you're kind of clay joked that i'm being nosy and brian was like yeah you're kind of being nosy and then brian laid it all out so i thought it was i thought it was an illuminating answer to some degree steven it was a really long answer, too. Yeah, I, what it boils down to is he doesn't see himself going anywhere, but obviously he's not going to pigeonhole himself into that corner of never actually leaving because things happen. Um, there was a lot of layers of, I don't want to have to go in the room and tell some of these young guys that I'm not going to be their wide receiver coach anymore. Ohio State is my home. Him and his wife are both from here. Obviously, he's from camp, but both from the state. Went to Ohio State, so this is their home. Um, I, I think the element that's and we've discussed it in the past, but the, the idea of like this guy played in the NFL, so he's made a lot of money. And so he doesn't have to just jump at anything and, and, and climb the ladder as he talks about. And he even kind of said it. I like being on the outside, being a fan, looking at all the speculation. So don't put me in it. But he doesn't have to climb that ladder that most coaches have to. He can take his time and stick around for a while because one, he doesn't have the ego and two, he's not trying to you know climb the ladder. So it, that might keep him around an extra four or five years longer when somebody else who was doing their job as good as he is might be gone in the next year. To me, the most illuminating thing was him talking about his aspirations, because as we've discussed this, I mean, anytime a guy starts to rise in the national esteem and you're in your position coach, the natural question is, well, what, what does that mean? And I think it's maybe as we've thought about that, been a little bit hard to pinpoint what his aspirations are because 
he is seen as a great receivers coach and a great recruiter. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're seen as like a great tactical offensive mind. And, and do you, is that the path you want to go down? Because unless he goes to be a receivers coach, like in the NFL, that's really the only step up for him, right. Is to go on to call an offense. So, and he said today, like, I don't need the, I can't, what was the exact quote? I sent it to our texters, 614-350-3315. But he said something like, I don't need the satisfaction of calling plays, which I thought to me was like, now, now that could change in five years or three years or uh, a year from now, if somebody offers them a lot of money to come be the offensive coordinator. But that to me, I thought was an important thing to say more than all of the, we love Ohio state. We like being here. I love my guys. I want some insight into how you see yourself as a football coach in the future. And as of today, right now, he's not really, it doesn't sound like he thinks about the sport, his place in the sport that way. So here's what I would predict for Brian Hartline's future based off what he said today. So Luke Fickle started as an Ohio State assistant coach when he was 29 and stayed until he was 43. Brian Hartline started as a full-time Ohio State assistant coach when he was like 31 and has plenty of time here. So I do think, because I think the thing always, as you said, Nathan, it's either jump to be a receivers coach in the NFL or jump to be a coordinator in college. So my guess would be that he does stay here and that at some point he becomes the co-offensive coordinator and, and eventually maybe does call plays here, like in eight years, right? That if Ryan Day is still here and maybe Kevin Wilson has gone on to get a head coaching job, but you throw a co-title to him, and you get them have more responsibility in the room. And then at some point he is a play caller. Cause every, most head coaches eventually give up the play calling duties. You set the structure of your offense. We're going to run what I want to run the way I want to run it, but I don't need to call ZXY banana on second and seven, because we had the meeting this week where we said, we're going to run ZXY banana on second and seven. So Heartline could call it right. Ryan day's not there yet, but I think he'll get there. Most head coaches do. So my guess would be, now that Brian Hartline just thinks, I'll just stay here. I'll probably, I'm not going to be wound up about calling plays, but I'll probably get to do it eventually. And then I'll just leave for a really good head coaching job or I'll never leave. Because you can jump from Ohio State offensive coordinator to head coach at North Carolina or head coach at Wisconsin, you know what I mean? Like you can, that's a good enough job to make a jump like that. So that to me, but I did, it did feel, and listen, what's he going to say? He's not going to get there and say, yeah, you know what? Probably two more years, then I'm good. Then I'll take whatever NFL job I can get. I'm kind of sick of it here. Of course, he's not going to say that. But I also thought there was reason to take a lot of what he said is probably true. And there've been guys who've made the jump from position coach to head coach too. Not usually to that level, though. Like, no, you know, Urban's, Hazel, Urban's a great Hazel was, Yeah. No, Daryl Hazel was the receivers coach here, went to Kent State, went to Purdue. I mean, you, you can you, climb that. Urban was the receivers coach at Notre Dame and, and right. went to Bowling Green. You can jump to the MAC as a position coach. Because, mm-hmm. frankly, if you're a coordinator, you're probably, if you're a coordinator at Ohio State, you're too good for the MAC, which is like why Luke never yeah. went to the MAC. So they come for the position coaches at Ohio State. But then if you're Brian Hartline, it's like, why would I want to be, like, why would I leave being the receivers coach at Ohio State to be the head coach at Bowling Green? Like, I'll just stay here and wait to be the head coach at UCLA Yeah. after I've called plays at Ohio State for three years. That's why I think his aspirations are the most interesting thing. Not 
what he is in the rankings of the thing and what the juice he has and, and all that stuff. It's to me, it's like, what does he want to be? Cause he is kind of climbing towards a way that whatever he wants to be, he can probably go be like, I don't think there's going to be necessarily standing him anything in the way of him getting his shot to be what he wants to be, but he may just want to be the Larry Johnson of receivers coaches and be here for 30 years. And two kids and another on the way, right. Still very young in his life young in his family's life and all that really, 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 really matters. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to stay until the baby that's going to be born soon is through high school. So chalk Brian Hartline up for 18 more years in Columbus, no matter what, that's not what that means, but family stuff matters. Family stuff matters. Family stuff matters and being happy and comfortable. And this, by the way, he's going to get start getting paid. Like they're going to pay him at some point. Right. So he might, we might have a situation where his agent suggests that he publicly entertain right a Mac sure. head coaching job just to make sure he gets a raise out of Ohio State but he's not actually going to go so who's here longer him or Ryan Day I mean I definitely could see I mean if the the head coach that would come in and replace Ryan Day would absolutely not, keep Heartline yeah yeah that would probably he would probably oh. be told he's keeping Heartline but I think he would be stupid not to yeah, I'd say, and, I don't know if anybody thought when Luke Fickle first got hired after his first couple of years, you were thinking he was going to be here longer than Jim Trestle, but he was. So like, now circumstances are part of why that happened, but still like this kind of applies here. And the alum on staff matters, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it does. It's, you don't have to have an alum on staff, but if you're coming in from the outside and you're going to like, it's like, well, I'm bringing in my own guys. Like people would be like, what are you talking about? This guy's the best receivers coach in the country. And he went here. You want that. So I would say Heartline. Doug, how distant do you think that would potentially be as far as like getting him even just like a co-OC position? Like if, if Kevin Wilson were to get another head coaching job, would this, this off season, would it be too soon to elevate him into a co-OC just from a, even if it's just from a title standpoint, because then you can pay him more. Or do you think that's still years removed? No, I don't think it would be too early. It's one of those, again, where you have guys, all the stuff he said, you still owe them some respect, right? And Mm -hmm. when Urban Meyer brought in Alex Grinch, Kerry Combs left, right? So it's like, you couldn't, I don't think at this point with what Heartline means to the program, if Kevin Wilson leaves, I don't think you could just bring in somebody and be like, oh, no, yeah, we're just bringing in a different tight ends coach that has no ties to Ohio State. And he's going to be the co-coordinator. It's, I mean, like, uh, sorry. Like, that's be like, what are you talking about? Especially if it doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Ryan Day is still going to call plays. All it does is start the question of, all right, Brian Hartline's co-coordinator, how many more seasons until he's actually the guy calling plays? And Ryan Day gives it up. I mean, I do think you, your voice gets louder in the room. Yeah. It's all collaboration, but if you have that coordinator title, your voice is louder in the room. And and Ryan Day is going to say, "What do you? Th- if we're going to go around the table and say, what do you think we should do against this front? You're going to go to Brian Hartline first, where right now they probably go to Kevin Wilson first. So, uh, but there's also other guys. I mean, Tony Alford probably deserves that as well, right? You know, I, I think Tony Alford has head coaching ambitions. I mean, that yeah. guy's been around forever. That guy's been super important to the program as a coach and a recruiter. Like, I'm sure Tony Alford wants that kind of treatment as well. So, I mean, there's just things that Ryan Day is going to have to navigate. But Brian Hartline's not uh, – not. I, I believe him, right? I mean, like, he had to say what he had to say, but he also said it in a believable way. And I think a lot of it makes sense um, when – you have a comfortable life at a place that's your home. That's what we said. Ohio State's my home. Ohio State's my home. And that just makes everything kind of a little bit different. 
Uh, what am I missing? Is there anything else? I mean, there literally is nothing about Nebraska. I just, there's nothing of note. And we did not talk to any players. You know what? We'll ponder and then we'll wrap this thing up next on Buckeye Talk. All right. So the rankings are in. The Tuesday press conference is in the house. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do for the Thursday pod, but I have a couple ideas. We'll definitely at least do some more rapid fire from the ones that we have that we said we're going to keep working those in. We'll definitely do that. I do think there's a couple um, different ways that we could go. Nathan, let's talk quickly about the Steel Chambers targeting situation. He is out for the first half against Nebraska. He was ejected seven seconds into the second half against Penn State. And Ryan Day has a proposal, an actual proposal about how to address situations like that. Yeah, I mean, his point being that like, if you get you get ejected on the first snap of the second half, you get ejected on the last snap of the second half. It's a very different penalty. Um, So his point being because I guess you would only miss the first half of the next game. You miss the first half of the next game either way. But in actuality, you're missing a whole game, almost a whole game. If you're the first case, not in the second case. So his his proposal is a instead of it being based on halves, just have it be based on a 30 minute time period of game play. Um, so if you got kicked out with six minutes left in the fourth quarter, then you'd have to miss the first 24 minutes of the next game or whatever. You know, come up with some time thing that decides it rather than because because when you start talking about halves and quarters and games, that's such a huge um, it's such a huge time period to just automatically slap on things. So while I, uh, if people who listen to the pod after the game Saturday night am um, on the opposite side of a lot of the ways people argue about targeting, this is the one that actually doesn't make sense to me. Um, this is the other stuff he was saying about how, well, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's in real time, it's tough to do. And um, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're blaming the defensive player for something they couldn't always control. I, I disagree really strongly with a lot of that stuff. And, but um, I, I agree with what he's saying as far as the time, if you're getting the, the, the punitive time thing for where the guy is taken out of competition probably deserves some alteration. Cause steel chambers is going to miss the most time you can miss for a targeting other than like if you targeted on the opening kickoff and were kicked out for the entire rest of that game, right? Like this is yeah, I mean, the if, max. Cause if you're kicked out in the first half, then you right. miss the second half and you don't have to miss any of the next game, mm-hmm. right? You only miss the first half of the next game. If you're kicked out in the second half, cause they want it to be like more than a half. Mm-hmm. And this is as much as it can be. So, and, and depending on the game, it, it's even more punitive in some ways to think about because he's going to miss the first half of a Big Ten road game. Whereas if what you're talking about, you get you committed targeting on the opening kickoff against Akron, you weren't going to play the second half anyway, possibly, or it doesn't matter if you play. So you know what? It, it, missing the first half of a Big Ten road game is is big too. At least, I mean, your team can plan for your absence if you're missing part of the next game. That if you're yes, kicked out seven true. seconds that's into true. a game, then they've got to scramble to fill the gap. Um, I, we were sort of talking about like, how would you implement it? And it's one of those things, again, it's like, all right, well, you, you were kicked out with 23 minutes left in the game. So then you have to miss the first seven minutes of the next game and it's on the team to keep track of it. But we, the officials will look at it. And if you put the guy in early, then he's going to miss the next two games. Like it's just on the team to get it right. And I don't, I don't think that's impossible. Like they just, they do it by half. It's just like next week. 
it's like, oh, what's the difference between like, hey, Steel Chambers can play at the seven minute mark of the first quarter, as opposed to what if they accidentally put him in in the first half? It's like, well, how well, how would that happen? It's well, like, well, it wouldn't happen because people know what the deal is, right? I think you would make the penalty that he has, the, whoever that player is, has to check in as if they were like checking in as a tackle eligible. You know what I mean? Because then it does go on the official. Like, but there has to be a clearinghouse for it. So like. Whoever that player who was ejected was to get back in the game, they can't just run on the field. They have to go check in with the official to be cleared to play. And if and if the official screws up and lets you in early, that's on the official. We could have like a football penalty box. Now we're talking. You could just sit in the box until his time is up. And then like a little bell goes off, the light comes on, and it's like, oh, still Chambers is back. And the box could be sponsored by what? ever nil endorser that that player is associated with bingo so it's like hey i'm steel chambers i'll be in the canes chicken fingers penalty box for the first seven yeah. minutes of the nebraska game make sure you get your box combo today yeah. um no there, there would be a way to figure it out and again there's just that they they need to work on it they, they need to work on it the just some of the specifics of even not debating whether um whether it is targeting or not, just some of the specifics of something like this, I still think they have, they have some stuff they can work out. So thanks to you guys for being part of it. We will have a big Thursday pod. We're talking about doing some basketball stuff. I don't know if we'll do that on Thursday or not. We've got to do it at some point. And it is Nebraska week. It's amazing how we can do five podcasts a week. And yet I feel sometimes like, man, we only do five podcasts a week. We can't get everything in. So there was a review that absolutely just like abused me. It just tore my heart out. It's like the, the worst thing you can say. Um, I, that, and it was, I, 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 it's like everybody, I'm not arguing it. I'm just saying like, man, they know, they know how to, hit me where it hurts because it was uh it basically said that like we are about quantity and not quality and i gotta get i gotta get the actual phrase actual phrasing here because it was pretty uh it was best in quantity and then at the end they said if you are just looking for a ton of content then this is it but in terms of production quality and understanding what podcasting really is they definitely take a backseat to others like Bill and Ari. My entire existence is understanding what podcasting really is. I don't write. I don't see my family. All I do is podcast. And that it is just quantity and that we don't know what podcasting really is. That's like something my wife would say. She's mad at me. Like that is like that person knows my ego and knows. I think it's four out of five stars, but man, don't know what podcasting really is. And then the jam, Bill and Ari right in our face, like Bill and Ari. God, twist the knife. All right. I'm going to podcasting school. Um, make sure he you guys are as he prepares to get on another podcast today. I mean, I'm only doing nine podcasts today. <laughs> I mean, it's like you think I'm so. Uh, but I, I mean, we're here for it. We're here for it. That's fine. That's fine. We welcome all reviews. We're not bribing you into reviews. We do not demand. We don't reward you for five-star reviews. We don't uh, say we'll take your question if you give us a five-star review. We want your honest reviews, and we are here for it. That's fine. We can take it. 
Um, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Make sure you're trying to text if you want to, 614-350-3315. And the College Football Podcast, be aware of that because in addition to the discussion we had here tonight, like Shahan and I dug in a lot to the rankings that were unveiled on Tuesday night from a whole national perspective. So that is like, a you know, this is sort of more Ohio State stuff. That's from a national perspective. And we'll be doing that every week on the playoff show. So for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was... Buckeye Talk.